May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. I encourage you to look in your worship order at the sermon text from Luke 9, or if you would prefer to follow along in your copy of the scriptures, Luke 9, 18 to 26 will be the scripture reading for the sermon, but we are going to focus on just one part of the text, the part in which Jesus talks about bearing the cross daily and following him. But I want to establish a little bit of context uh, to help us grasp the import of what Jesus is saying there. So if you are willing and able, I invite you to stand for the reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, 18 to 26. And I urge you with all of your heart to hear the word of God as it truly is the word of God. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him and he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And Jesus strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessing to the reading and the preaching and the hearing of his word. And all the church says, you may be seated. Well, we continue making our way through the gospel of Luke. And we're following Jesus as he makes his way to Jerusalem. Luke 9 is the text that indicates at the end that Jesus set his face resolutely, set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. And there was nothing from Luke 9 forward that would deter him. Up to this point, Jesus has encountered various trials and has had various debates with people. He's done many good things, performed miracles, fed thousands. He's healed people. He's done a lot of teaching and preaching. He's interacted with Jews and Gentiles, and everywhere he's gone, he has tried to bring this good news of jubilee to bear on the world around him. And so it seems strange to many people when you come to Luke 9 that Jesus would give such a hard word. We might wonder, what does bearing the cross have to do with jubilee? What does bearing the cross have to do with liberty and justice? Well... As you can see, Jesus has a different view of liberty and justice than most people. And it is through bearing the cross that we find liberty from sins. It's through bearing the cross that we find real justice being executed in the world. 
It is through bearing the cross that we are liberated from the devil and the flesh and the world. That we escape the injustices of this present age. And so don't be fooled and don't think that Jesus has now changed his message. He is still proclaiming the good news of Jubilee. But he's narrowing the focus down to the cross. And so from this point on, he will mention repeatedly that his own journey will take him to Jerusalem where he will be handed over and crucified, buried and raised on the third day. Now, what most of us hear is what the disciples heard. They heard suffering and pain and anguish. They heard crucifixion and death. And that's as far as they went. And so I have to remind you week after week and going forward, those of us who are preaching will have to point out that the crucifixion itself is not the end of the story. It is only one leg in the journey of the story. And so keep that in mind as you think about cross bearing this evening. I want to begin by sharing what I've always found to be a fascinating story with you. It's a story about a man named Charlemagne. He lived between the 8th and 9th centuries. Charlemagne was known as a valiant man who embarked on a mission to unite all Germanic peoples into one kingdom. And his goal was to convert all of his subjects to Christianity. He was a devout Christian. He was a skilled military strategist and he spent much of his reign engaged in warfare in order to accomplish his goals. Eventually he became emperor and he began to rule. But he did far more than just fight wars. History tells us that he also encouraged a cultural and intellectual revival in Europe. When he died in 814 AD, Charlemagne's empire encompassed much of Western Europe. And he also ensured the survival of Christianity in the West. Not a bad way to end your life, right? Charlemagne is referred to many as the spiritual father of Europe. About 180 years after Charlemagne's death, it occurred to some officials in an empire to go and open his tomb and see what was in the tomb. And when the tomb was opened, they found an abundance of treasure. But they found something even more amazing than all of the treasures around him. And if you will hang in here with me for a few minutes, I'll tell you what that was in about 20 minutes. Jesus says, if you want to come after me, there are some things you must do. And so I ask you to consider this evening. Do you want to be a follower of Jesus? It's a fundamental question. If you don't want to be a follower of Jesus, there's no need for you to pay attention to anything else that I'm about to say. But if you do want to be a follower of Jesus, if you're seriously considering what that might look like, then the words of Christ are for you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor in the time of World War II. And he is often quoted as saying, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And this was Bonhoeffer's way of trying to capture the essence of what Jesus was describing when he said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross every day and follow me. And Bonhoeffer tried to capture that by saying, Christ calls men and bids them come and die. 
And I want to be careful with this because Bonhoeffer was a devout Christian. He was a martyr for the faith. And I don't want to push back too hard on what he said. But since people misunderstand his point, I do want to highlight the fact that Jesus did not say, if anyone wants to come after me, he must die. He said something much more difficult than that. And you just heard it in our reading. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and do something much more difficult, much more demanding than just die. When Christ bids a man come and follow him, he bids him come and live in an ongoing daily rhythm of self-denial, self-renunciation, cross-bearing. He bids him come and walk in the slipstream of his own cross. I think Bonhoeffer would have agreed with that. And he might have even appreciated the subtle explanation of what he meant to say. Jesus says, if you want to come after him, you must deny yourself. And many of us take that to mean something like this. You're on a diet and someone brings in a delicious cake at your missional community gathering. Usually happens midweek. And you want to be good. And so you're looking at that cake, but you don't want to be bad and eat the cake. It'd be bad to eat the cake because you'd break your diet. So you stay away from the cake and you try to satisfy yourself with some celery sticks and peanut butter. And now you've practiced self-denial. That is not what Jesus had in mind when he talked about self-denial. He had something worse in mind, something more painful than that. Jesus talked about self-denial in a very unique way. Self-denial, for some people, uh, equates to something like self-destruction. But that's not what Jesus had in mind. Jesus is talking about identity. He's talking about the way we perceive ourselves and the way we uh, relate to the world around us. There's a great book called The Imitation of Christ by Jimmy Agin III. I recommend you read that book if you're into this kind of thing. But he says, self-denial is the opposite of self-definition. You have no allegiance to yourself, to your own plans and purposes. You are not your own authority, and it is not your claims that determine how you think or live. That puts a pretty fine point on what self-denial might look like. He goes on to say, the version of me that once took delight in its that once took delight in going its own way is unrecognizable to me. That old me has no significance for my life now. The only me I recognize anymore is the one that takes up a cross and follows Jesus. Self-denial is about a redefinition of life. It's not just renunciation. That's the negative side of it. But it's about a redefinition of life. Who are you? Why are you here? Where are you going? And Jesus answers that for you, doesn't he? You're my disciple. You're here to bear the cross. Where are we going? We're going to Jerusalem. You see, along the way, everyone in Jesus's world understood what the cross was. And so to call people to get behind him, Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you're going to identify with me. That changes everything. 
It changes the way you see yourself, the way you see the world around you. It changes the way people around you see you. Why? Would you know, in the Roman Empire, the cross was used not for decorative purposes. I have a, a ring with a cross on it. We have a table with a cross on it. It's decorative. It reminds us of the gospel. But in Jesus's day, to talk about the cross meant you were talking about one thing, and that was capital punishment. The Roman Empire used the cross day after day as a means of enforcing its will on the people around it. The citizens and the slaves of the Roman Empire were impressed by the fact that there were crosses everywhere. Display of the Roman power. Who was crucified in those days? People who were considered enemies of the state were punished and crucified in public. And so wherever you went, to the marketplace, to your job, to the synagogue, outside the city, on a trip, on a vacation, everywhere you would go, you would run across people suspended between heaven and earth on crosses erected by the Roman Empire. They're sending a graphic message to everyone that this is what happens to enemies of the state. Jesus says to his followers, if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to realize that you will be perceived as enemies of the state, as people who are a part of the resistance to the world. You might be considered revolutionaries from the point of view of the governments around you. So take up your cross daily and follow me. But know that at the end of this journey, there is a death that's coming. It's not a very good sales pitch, is it? I mean, it's not the kind of thing you see on websites. And I mean, not even our church website. We don't have on the website, come with us. We're going to follow Jesus all the way to death. Here's how you become a member. No, everyone wants to present the Christian faith in this bright and shiny way. Let's talk about all the benefits that it brings to you brings to your family, how it makes the world a better place. What people don't like to talk about is all of the ways it wrecks your heart and your life, the way it brings ruin, the way it brings trouble upon you. And yet Jesus is telling us the truth. This is what it's like to follow me. You should change your expectations. It's going to hurt to follow Christ. And so Jesus calls us to live and move and exist as a people who, as it were, are going up to Golgotha in Jerusalem. That's our destination, to Skull Hill. And all we know is that along the way, there are hardships and afflictions awaiting us. In essence, what does Jesus mean when he says, come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me? I think we can narrow it down and say it means this, that he is calling us to identify with him and to imitate him in life and in death. Here's a practical way, very concrete way to think about cross bearing. If you're like me, you came from a church or a tradition or a movement where people would give you all kinds of things to describe cross bearing. And it would basically be different sets of man-made rules to say this is what cross-bearing looks like. And you know what cross-bearing looks like in a lot of places? Whatever the pastor wants it to look like. Whatever motivates and mobilizes the congregation to do the pastor's will. That's what cross-bearing looks like. 
But that's not what it looks like for Jesus. It's very different. Here's what it looks like in the context of the New Testament. It looks like the first thing is you must become a baptized Christian. That's the first part of cross-bearing. You become a baptized Christian. Why? Because baptized Christians are united to Christ in His crucifixion, in His burial, in His resurrection. They are now identified with Jesus Christ. And baptism is a permanent reminder of that identification. And so you're plugged into, planted into, grafted into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But that's not the end of the story, is it? That's identification. But then we're called as baptized Christians to live out the imitation of Christ in our life. It's the pursuit of holiness, the pursuit of obedience to the word of God. It's a life lived in conformity to the spirit of Christ. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in various places in his writings. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. All those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. So far be it from us to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to us and we have been crucified to the world. So to make it very clear, as clear as I can in this moment, if you are a baptized Christian, you are a cross bearer. And if you're a baptized Christian, your life is signed and sealed with the cross of Jesus Christ. And now your life must become shaped and molded by that same cross. The apostles make it clear that we are united to Christ in his death and in his life. And what that means for us in a very personal and practical way is that the death of Jesus is your death. And the life of Jesus is your life. And I want to highlight this for you for just a moment, because often when people think of cross bearing, they get the wrong notion that what cross bearing means is just as Jesus went to Skull Hill and he was crucified and then buried and resurrected. So every individual around Jesus must do the same thing. But my friends. Brothers and sisters, that is not the gospel. The gospel is that we have been united to Christ in his death, in his burial, in his life. Jesus is inviting us, calling us to identify with him and then live in imitation of him. In his booklet on the Christian life, John Calvin says, cross-bearing is more difficult than self-denial for all whom the Lord has chosen and received into the society of his saints ought to prepare themselves for a life that is hard, difficult, laborious, and full of griefs. It's not just that. There are many joys There is peace, there is rest as well. But in our flesh, we gravitate to those negative aspects of cross-bearing, but there are many pleasures that come along with being conformed 
to the image of Jesus Christ. Think of what it's like to overcome some sin in your life so that in that part of your life, now you're more like Christ today than you were yesterday. There's no grief in that. There's no misery in that. There's relief. There's joy. And so the cross does this for us. Jesus calls us to follow him. And following him doesn't mean we simply trail behind and try to keep up. The word follow means that we stick close to him. And we stick close to him like a student with his teacher, like a servant with his master. In other words, whatever he says we will do, whatever he commands we will accomplish. Wherever he leads, we will follow. That's the idea here. We stick close to Jesus. Where is he going? Where is he leading us? What is he teaching us? That is at the heart of our interests. And at the heart of what Jesus says as he just talks about cross-bearing, he reminds his disciples that he is the pioneer. He is on the front line, the front edge of this. The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, rise again. Come, follow me. Get behind me. Why? Because it's the safest place in all of the world. When judgment breaks out, when all hell breaks loose, those who are behind Jesus Christ will be the ones who are preserved and saved and spared that judgment. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And now you might be tempted to run and flee and hide and look for a safe place. But Jesus is calling his disciples to say, no, I am the safe place. Get behind me. Not because you count for less, but because I care about you so much. Get behind me because this is where the safe place is. In other words, he is going to take the full brunt of the judgment of man and the judgment of God upon himself. He is going to weather the storm. Where will you be in that storm? Behind Jesus. Clinging to the cross with all your might. Better put, clinging to the cross with all of His might and His power that works in you. Jesus calls us to identify with Him, to follow Him. One commentator puts it like this, if you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus, you will live with the priorities of the walking dead. You will live like someone whose only hope of rescue is to follow close on Jesus' heels. So close, in fact, that the shame, the rejection, and humiliation he experienced will become a daily feature of your own life. Yeah, some of that will spill over onto your life because you've identified with Christ and you are imitating him in your life. This call to discipleship that Jesus issues here is one of the most counterintuitive things that he ever said. It cuts against the grain of our culture. It cuts against the grain of our life. And while we hear it and we might rejoice in it, we might be curious about it. Honestly, we still struggle to fully embrace it, don't we? Or maybe you don't, but I'll say that I do. I struggle to fully embrace it. And like many people I know, we want to save our life without losing our life. We want to be rescued without being ruined. 
We want to be delivered without being destroyed. We want the crown without the cross. We want our best life now and we want eternal life later. Or as I mentioned earlier, we want our cake and eat it too. But Jesus is calling us to something truer and better than all of that. Martin Luther said the cross puts everything to the test and Knowing most of you as well as I know you, I can only imagine that the cross is at this moment putting you to the test. I can only imagine that at this moment you're feeling the blaze of the cross burning into your life. You're feeling the Spirit of God examining and probing your heart, searching your mind, weighing your motives, challenging your presuppositions and expectations. The cross puts everything to the test, not just out there, but in here. And it's good to be tested. It's good to be tested. But I want to say something. I don't want to be one of those pastors who increases the burdens that you already feel, the burdens you already carry when you came in here this evening. It's easy to hear Jesus say these things and to hear a sermon about the things Jesus said and to feel crushed under the weight of them and to think, wow, I was having a hard enough time as it is and now you've increased my burden. Like you've, you've added more weight. I'm, I'll be lucky to crawl out of here. Maybe someone can drag me back to my car and get me home. And I can't tell people how to hear things or how to feel, but I do want to say that it's good for us to remember all of what Jesus said or as much of what he said as possible. Jesus refers to those who come to him with heavy burdens and anxieties and crushing debts and weight upon them. He refers to those people uh, as people who have need. He invites them to come and says, come to me. That describes you. Come to Jesus. And why? He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. You hear that promise, and then you hear this call to take up the cross. And you think, well, how do these two things go together? Well, they go together in this way. When Jesus calls you to come to him, And take his yoke upon you and learn from him and to see how meek he is, how lowly of heart he is. Then you begin to realize this is not some heavy handed taskmaster who is calling us to take up the cross and make our lives even more miserable than they already are. This is someone who is coming to us and saying, I don't want to increase your burden at all. I want to ease your burdens. And so here's what you do. You take all of your heavy load, whatever it is, your anxieties and fears, your guilt and shame and all of that weight, and you cast it on the Lord because He cares for you. In other words, you have to unburden yourself. He says, bring it on. He can take it. Unburden yourself. Give it to the Lord. And then He gives you something in exchange. He gives you the cross. 
I know that sounds terrifying. It might even seem like a bad trade. But what does he say about the cross? He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Now, if you're like me and you've heard these things from Luke 9 on different occasions, and maybe even tonight you're thinking, this doesn't seem light and easy. It seems very heavy. And the reason it might seem very heavy to you and difficult to you is because you don't understand exactly what Jesus is inviting you to. When Jesus calls us to take up the cross and follow him, He's not asking us to take up the same cross that he took up. He's asking us to unite ourselves to him. So that he can bear your burdens. So that he can bear the weight of your sin and your failings and your weakness and your shame and your misery and your grief. You give him all of that. He gives you the cross. The cross does not increase your burden at all. It lightens your load because it's at the cross that you first saw the light. It's at the cross that you find hope and life. It's at the cross that you find rest and peace in the Lord Jesus. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and come and what? Identify with him, unite to him. Reap the benefits of his death, burial, and resurrection. He's not trying to increase your burden. He's trying to lighten your load. And that's what cross-bearing is about. Identifying with Jesus Christ and his death, burial, resurrection. And then living out a joyful imitation of that in our day-by-day life. Free of guilt, free of shame free of the sorrows of sin, rejoicing in the grace and mercies of our God, of Jesus Christ, who is meek and lowly in heart. And what does He promise those of us who make this trade, this exchange? Rest. See, cross-bearing isn't about more work. It's not, he's not preaching law to us here. He's preaching the gospel of Jubilee. And He will release you, set you free. Those of you who are oppressed, He will give you rest. Well, this is probably a good time to finish telling you the story that I started telling you at the beginning, if you're still interested. When the tomb was opened, when Charlemagne's tomb was opened, they saw an abundance of treasure and riches, amazing things. But the thing that was most amazing of all is they saw the skeletal remains of Charlemagne. Seated on a throne, crown on his head, bony finger pointed at the Gospels, which were laid in his lap. And his bony finger is pointed at the verse we just read. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? When a dead man reminds you of the truth of the gospel, it soaks in a bit, doesn't it? How about a dead man named Jesus, the walking dead, reminding you that there is more to life than what you gain, 
More to life than what you accumulate, more to life than what you can gather here. There's life beyond this life. And there's life in this life. And so he calls us to himself to take up his cross and to follow him. And so what must we do? Well, as the Hebrew writer says, we should go to him. We should go to him outside the camp. We should go out and bear the shame that he bore. We should go out to him and identify with him. Why? Because we are not looking for a city here that is built by the hands of men. We are looking for the city of God, which is being prepared and built by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so let us go out to him bearing our crosses joyfully, joyfully and graciously as he has called us to do.